making the finest vegan alliance. <laughs> <laughs> song we are not sure exactly what that's going to sound like yet alex is going to help me with some of the editing we're going to try to get something set up to where it's we have it and it's ready and then we can just use it but we've been doing this dumb thing where we've both been singing if you want to do it with me we can but we just go vegan vegan carne carne alliance, alliance. yeah <laughs> uh, yeah so it's it's really sick we don't know how we're gonna do it but i was sort of thinking like i want it to be like ragtag like maybe we're like drumming on a desk and it's like it sort of sounds hodgepodgey uh, i think that that could be a sort of fun way i don't know because i like i mean i guess i have friends who are music musicians and i could employ them in some capacity <laughs> but i sort of like the we're just being dumb about it yeah i think something doing like some kind of terrible acapella yes. you know like uh -huh. <laughs> Queen, <laughs> like, like, like Bohemian like, Rhapsody, but like, with like <laughs> street people. Yeah, <laughs> vegan, 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 carne, carne alliance. alliance. <laughs> 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 it just get yeah, and every time could just be something just equally as bad. Yes. Okay, everybody. This is Vegan Carne Alliance episode number one. My name is Cole Moss. I am your host of Vegan Carne Alliance, and I am sitting here today with Jesse Mullenix. Hello. He is a, uh, as far as I know, a chef, rock climbing extraordinaire, food loving, information craving teacher who I happen to meet in a sauna. Wow, that's a, that's a nice way to put it. Did I get that Sounds right? sexy. Was that good? Yeah, that was good. Was that fair? That was great. Did I miss anything? I think you said you had added a couple things. <laughs> I, I added a few things. Oh, totally. You Some mean good things, things that aren't true? No, no, just things that are true, maybe. Yeah, I know who you are. <laughs> the man, the enigma. All right. Um, so today I wanted to give you a quick run through of today's topics that Jesse and I are going to be talking about. First things first, and I'm sure you are wondering, what is Vegan Carne Alliance? We're going to talk a little about that. Follow that up with the five most interesting things happening in the vegan world right now. After that, we have, has the term fusion gone away? Hmm. Next up. Who's the next Anthony Bourdain? And lastly, we are going to finish with our favorite food shows, past, present, and future. So we'd like to thank you all for joining us on this ride as we start this and welcome you to episode one of Vegan Carne Alliance. The real basis of it is simply it's sort of like, you know, the high school program Gay Straight Alliance, the club. Um, it's a place for vegans and non-vegans to talk about the joy of food and with a focus on plant-based foods. Um, as far as what it's going to become, I'm not even sure I know, but I'm excited to get on the ride mm -hmm. and uh, figure out what we can do together, all of us. So um, it's wonderful to have you all here. If you are interested, you can follow us online. We, uh, we're on Instagram at Vegan Carne Alliance. And then um, if we're, I think we are on Twitter at um, Vegan Carne. Uh, I think there's a hyphen between them but maybe not. Anyway, and then there's a website, vegancarnealliance.com. Jesse, do you have any questions about what this is? Were you wondering? Whenever yeah, I first pitched know, it to you, did I, did I sell it correctly? How did I sell it? I think, well, what I'm discovering is that it's about vegan food, not opposing traditional meat-loving food, but 
you know, where that all stands and what it means to different people and just kind of discovering like where people are going, like society's going with food, you know, in the vegan sense and plant loving, more sustainable is vegan and is a better option. You know, do we need to eliminate something? But yeah, that's something like that. I think you said it better than I did. Yeah, which is expected. Uh, that was beautiful. Um, so let's let's get into this. Okay, so the, the five most interesting things happening in the vegan world right now, um, in no particular order, but I want to start with one. So just recently, and this was the day we're recording this, technically yesterday, the Impossible Burger is now at every Burger King in the nation. That's just great. It's just, you know, more options. That's right. So, and it's probably better than, <laughs> than whatever that patties, the original patties made. <laughs> uh, so that's, that's, a, that's a fair question. And I, do, I actually do wonder about that. Uh, for those who don't know at home, so the Impossible and the Beyond Burger are sort of the, um, the Goliath and Goliath of the vegan space. And um, they, they are making something intended to replicate actual, uh, actual meat. Uh, and they, they are now, yeah, at every Burger King across the nation. So you can order a Whopper anywhere. Now they don't have vegan cheese. It's been sort of a, a deal because if you are vegan and you want it, they do it on the same broiler that they do the meat. So if you don't want the animal fats, that is there. But c'est la vie, such as that, such as life. You can ask for it to be microwaved if you want. Um, I'm not planning to have a microwaved Whopper <laughs> in my mouth. Where's you know what I mean? Like I'm I'm looking forward to the that. That can't be better. <laughs> yeah, man. Can you imagine if you had to eat all of your burgers from a microwave? From a microwave, I remember eating Boca burgers, which that's a vegan burger. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, typically. And we'd microwave those, and you, know, you just get like that nice chewy bun. <laughs> and like spots of it are cold, still cold, and other spots are uh -huh. extremely fucking hot. Mm -hmm. And um. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, are you allowed to cuss on this show? I think we're going to curse. Oh, we're we'll going to curse? Yeah. Oh, just, yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We need to make a big fucking show of it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, back to the vegan. I think it's a, a great thing. It's got, <clears throat> it's a step in the right direction. I think it's just Whatever wild. that means. So before we started this podcast, we walked to just go get a tea. And when mm. we did, we walked by a Burger King. And it's wild to walk by the drive-thru and see in the sort of prime slot for where they advertise their new products, the mm. Impossible Whopper is right there front and center. I mean, that to me still sort of blows my mind. As yeah. a vegan, I have for so long lived on the fringes. So to see anything get celebrated that's vegan, yeah. like last year in the Super Bowl, they had, Carl's Jr. had a an advertisement for the Beyond Burger. And I mean, that was in the Super Bowl oh, yeah. for the Beyond uh -huh. Burger. And that was, again, like a, a moment where you sit there and you sort of go, this can't this can't be real. Like I've eaten too many bad vegan products yeah. for our world to be sort of overlapping and to connect. I mean, on on the Super Bowl especially. Like if there's, if it was just a, an ad, but to, that's a statement. I don't know. Vegan, not, I don't think of the Super Bowl as a particular. It's a like, victory. Yeah, yeah. It's a victory in the vegan world. A victory in the you vegan know, world. You know, it's like I think it's a battle that, in my eyes, started with like the Timothy Leary like acid movement, you know, in the seventies, <laughs> and that thing branched off into so many different things. Everything from like, tell me more. You know, rock climbing to uh -huh. just psychedelic mushroom Are exploration. You rock climbing is big because of Timothy Leary. 
No, but oh, yes. I love this theory. <laughs> oh, I am all in on this theory. It was, a, it was a larger movement that no one person was responsible for, but a lot of people, a nation in the world was involved in. It's very hard to think about the sort of waves that certain things create because mm -hmm. you're right. I mean, it does. If you have an experience that leaves you more open to the whole of the world, what does that mean for everything outside of you? I mean, having, it's weird to say like, oh, if you're, if you're willing to eat a a vegan burger, what would you be willing to do outside of that? You know what I mean? Right. It's like, if you start eating vegan burgers, do you start looking for, like, on the backs of your products, do you look to see if they're cruelty-free? That means they're not tested on animals. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think it all, little it's by little. being responsible for what, it's, it's just constantly, like, never looking at what we're doing as being, like, oh, this is it. This is the best way we're ever going to do it. It's constantly seeing that there's other ways, and that vegan veganism might be just one of those paths of of a solution to a problem that we didn't have an answer for maybe 10 years ago or whatever. So you heard it here first, everybody. It all started with acid. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, let's see. So next up, a very recent story. This came out two days ago. Subway joins the game the vegan game, that is, with the Beyond Meatballs. Now, you, you can go in and get your meatball sub, as you used to, but they don't have vegan cheese yet, but they've got the Beyond Meatballs. So I have not tried this. I don't actually think it's nationwide. I think it's like, I think something like, maybe like half of the stores are doing it. I'm not sure. I, I should know this because I'm hmm. talking about it publicly. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a pretty big deal. And I think especially, I mean, Subway, Subway was actually one of the earliest restaurants to have something the vegans could really eat. It's pretty right. much at the mm -hmm. beginning. It was really Burger King and Subway. And at Subway, if you did that, what that really meant was you got vegetables on a bun that happened to be vegan. You know, it's really it's funny because I have a relationship with Subway Tell that me about it. has evolved over the years. Where in high school it started, I was like, I was getting the steak and cheese, uh -huh. and I like their Southwest sauce. And their Southwest sauce is basically why I go there. And then over years, I've discovered that like the meat wasn't really what I wanted. Hold it on. was I got to rewind this a little bit. You're gonna have to tell me and the people at home what the Southwest sauce is. What's it? What's it like? Well, I don't want to just be a big promotion for somebody. <laughs> no, I mean, we're, hey, they're hopping in. I'm ready. I can tell you how to make a better version. But um, do that also. <laughs> right. So it's a it's a mayonnaise based with chipotle, basically a chipotle and adobo in mayonnaise blended with a little bit of vinegar and extra salt. Huh. And you just have this like really nice, tangy, slightly spicy sauce. It's uh -huh. like kind of orangish, reddish. Uh -huh. And it's fucking good on anything. So I was going there and getting the steak and cheese. And eventually, I just slowly was like, well, this meat is disgusting. Uh -huh. And the cheese is disgusting. And the bread is like also almost unbearable too. Because <laughs> it's just so yeasty and weird smelling. But I liked getting it packed full of veggies and getting a bunch of that sauce. And a bunch of like pickled things. And I would just get the veggie sub. It was just mm. a veggie sub. Well, so what we're talking about here is really interesting. And in that, okay, so I, I don't actually think you're really food snobbish, although you eat a lot of food. But what you just described <laughs> as far as your thoughts on Subway, not exactly positive. What I would say and what's <laughs> I go interesting. To I used to go no, there all the time. Well, see, and that's what I think is interesting is a lot of the vegan stuff. I mean, we're going to have discussions about sort of nationwide trends. And a lot of those are going to be nationwide chains. Mm -hmm. And I don't think many people think of those as fine dining, but they're... I mean, they're obviously popular. They're everywhere. There's a reason for this. And mm -hmm. sort of in that discussion, it's interesting because as a, as a vegan, for the longest time, it's like I didn't, I stopped eating Subway too. You know what I mean? Like even right. before I was vegan. <clears throat> and it's one of those things well, where- Well, you know, better options arise. Right. And I think that's, that's what true. is 
because before there wasn't really, you wanted to eat something light mm-hmm. that wasn't, you know, you didn't want to eat a burger or burrito mm-hmm. or something. You don't want Mexican food or fast food. It really only left you with like Subway. <laughs> it was true. And that's sort of my eyes. what I was sort of, we as vegans, I feel like we've been, we've been sort of left out of the picture for so long, but now that they're like, Oh, we have something for you. I think all vegans everywhere they're are treated re- like pariahs. rejoicing. Like- <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like no one wanted us and yeah. now they're courting us. But the fact that yeah. we're courted at all, like we, mm-hmm. we never got invited to the dances. You know what I mean? No one ever asked us to come, well, but now someone has asked us and we're like, Oh, I love you. I'm all in. You know what? This is, I think you're going to love this. Cause I think it's so true is that what used to be like Marlon Brando, the, James Dean smoking cigarettes, leather jacket, riding motorcycles, like slightly alcoholic bad boy. Like that's kind of what like the original like hot bad. And now it's like glasses, got like a one strap backpack with a, with a Apple laptop in the back who rides like a BMW motorcycle, you know, has like a corporate job and like rock climbs and shit. And like, that's like the, become like, the, and it's vegan. It's, it's like the whole point of that. I, <laughs> it's like the the new badass is like it's like a young hot vegan dude who like is like ripped and super smart. Did you guys hear that? Did all the vegans <laughs> listening? That was uh, I didn't say that. Um, a carnivore just said that. So carnivore is yeah. We'll take it when we can get it. Th- thank you, Jesse. Thank you. Thank you. Um, all right. Let's see. So moving on to the next topic, another exciting chain has been welcomed to the fray. I don't know if you heard at home. Baskin Robbins now has two vegan flavors. Now, Baskin Robbins, if you do not know, is the largest ice cream shop in America. They have 7,800 shops. I didn't know this. This is incredible. I had no idea. So 7,800 shops. It says they've 1,300 flavors of ice cream in their flavor bank, which, mm. what a weird word, flavor bank. Flavor bank. I love that. That's it's, good... it's pretty good. I think that's what we should... I'm going to start I'm my gonna... tongue as yeah. a flavor bank. I was going to relabel my refrigerator. It's, uh, uh, yeah. hey, did you uh, check the flavor bank? Because I think we've got some extra in there. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Um, so they went on August 1st, went nationwide with two flavors. We have chocolate chip cookie dough and chocolate extreme which are made with a base of coconut oil and almond butter now just Mm. in the conversation again it's just it's exciting to if you're hanging out with like your buddies or your grandparents and you're in the middle of nowhere you're on a road trip and you need to it's like they go we want ice cream there are so many times where i've been like that's great let's go get you some because i knew i wouldn't be able to have anything Mm -hmm. it is amazing that the largest chain in america for ice cream now has two options for me. I get to be discerning. I get to walk in. I get to be like, I'm going to taste that. I'm going to taste that. Yeah, I try them both. And I'm like, you know what? That one is not for me. I am not that kind of person. No, thank you. I get to have, <laughs> I have the options. Other. I have options. Yeah. I don't even, you would not believe how many times in my life I've been like, you know Had what? no oh, options. Yeah, exactly. I'll literally be like, man, I loved that thing that I would never eat normally. And it's the singular option that yeah. I have. Right. So very exciting. Especially, I, I don't know what your parents like. I never met, but like my parents are definitely from like, you know, my mom growing up was always to have the attitude like, you know, eat your fucking food and don't complain about it, uh-huh. you know? And if you're like, oh, I don't want to eat meat, it's like, you know, like you don't eat or you get yelled at or right. ridiculed. Uh-huh. At least, you at least get ridiculed. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, there is some peer pressure for sure. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Yes. Well, um, so I think now having those options, it's just, it's the thing that I really like, even though I'm not vegan and I'm not being like, oh, I need something vegan, is that vegan, this, it's really putting standards of higher quality. Mm-hmm. And I think that, 
Like when you're looking at like a vegan ice cream, as simple as that, your standard ice creams are are not like of good quality ingredients. True. The chocolate, the milk. Oh, that's interesting. And the so you're pre- thinking maybe even the base level of like a vegan ice cream and a base level of what you might get at a Baskin Robbins. You're saying the vegan might be a step. It's above going that? to be because vegans they they have higher standards because there's so much more conscience about their food. You, you never go see like, oh yeah, this is a vegan dish and it's like hydrogenized corn oil. And I don't know about that, my friend. Really? I mean, I say that I, in my brain, I'm thinking of Oreos, which I eat, but are like not okay, good yeah, for you. That's, that's not, that's true. That's, to me, that's true. not even, you're a, right. that's not you're, a vegan option. Yeah, you're totally right. No, you're right. Sorry. Yeah. My brain was in another place. Yeah. I'm just, you know, you're just, as you're seeing like, like for, uh, one of my favorite things at 7-Eleven is all oh, these cookies now. And before, because I'd go to 7-Eleven, I'm like, dude, the beef jerky is like the same consistency as gummy bears and is weird. And everything else is just candy <laughs> and terrible, you know? And it's like you're left with trail mix. And they just made these cookies that like have – and they're good quality. I forget they're like two – like looks like two hippies or homeless people on them, but huh. <laughs> they're for backpackers. Huh. But it's a new good option, and they're made with good ingredients. And it's still packaged. It's still processed, but it's at least – we're definitely in Step a place up. where people are trying to use fewer ingredients in their food. I think people mm-hmm. like to look at the ingredients list and only see 10 things instead of 25. I think it makes us happier as people. <laughs> I don't know how you feel, oh, but it's like, sure. even if I still can't read all the words, if there are only 10 words I can't read on there, at least it's only 10 instead of 25. Mm-hmm. I'm like decreasing my odds of them being bad for me. Like when Have you ever looked at the back of like any hostess, like Twinkie? Talk about like it's the craziest longest list of poisons you could imagine. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, when it should be like white flour, water, cream, and cane sugar. Like, true. Right, yeast maybe. That'd be wonderful. <laughs> Butter. Yeah. Have you ever actually had homemade ice cream? Like where they? Like, oh, I've made them? homemade ice cream. Oh, so I made I made mm-hmm. ice cream with liquid nitrogen. I made it with salt. Uh-huh. Made it by shaking. And I forget as a kid. <laughs> That's really cool. We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. This commercial break brought to you by Alex's Stomach Crowling. It's hungry. Is it dinner? podcast is brought to you by wheat that's it that's the whole thing wheat vegan carne alliance uh, all right so let's yeah. see moving on to the next thing i want to talk about beyond meat stock so if you are looking to invest in anything related to veganism which is not that easy to do you can do so with beyond stock so that's on the nasdaq at bynd beyond as the thing it has been on a crazy run recently so on may the 2nd the stock ipo'd initial public offering started at 65 dollars and uh so that's may the 2nd by august the 9th which is today it's around 165 dollars and it had a high of, and this was like a week to two weeks ago, it had a high of $239. I think that's something that even now, if you invested a large part of money in it, you'd probably be a millionaire. <laughs> you'd probably do well with it. I, I feel the same. Now I've, I've got a, I need to come out and say I own Beyond Stock. I'm probably going to try to buy into every stock because it's like money where your mouth is. And I, I want to support these people. There's I've been no trying. There's no way that it's... If, if, 
if McDonald's or not McDonald's Burger King just took it on, mm-hmm. like it's only just begun. It's true. Well, so you that know. was that's actually a technically different company. So Burger King took on oh. the Impossible, but I'm same give stuff. It, so I want to give you a rundown of this. So yeah, check this out. So uh, they had the high of two thirty nine. <clears throat> it's around one sixty five now. So it shed twenty two percent of its value after they did an unexpected secondary offering at a steeper discount. So people, it dropped the price of the shares, which honestly was bound to happen. It was, I mean, it its rise was astronomical. Um, but I wanted to tell you a little bit about, uh, I think, sort of what Beyond's done. While Impossible was having production issues, they weren't in a lot of stores, they were having trouble keeping up as they were expanding for mm. Burger King. Um, most of this will be resolved. They actually just signed a partnership with the same company that produces most of the stuff for McDonald's. So they are not going to have production issues anymore, I don't think. But I wanted to sort of yeah. talk about where these companies are now. So Beyond is now in Subway. Dunkin' Donuts, Carl's Jr., Blue Apron, the delivery service, Famous Dave's, Tim Hortons, Del Taco, A&W, and TJI Fridays. And then Impossible is currently at Burger King, Red Robin, White Castle with the sliders, Umami Burger, Cadoba, Dave & Buster's, Fat Burger, Applebee's, Little Caesars, Cheesecake Factory. I didn't know that. Learned that one today. Mm, that's the Impossible? That's right. And mm. uh, lastly, Hard Rock Cafe uh, for my friend Jeff, who's I'm gonna sure, I'm sure listening at home. Those places sound like they would have the, the better burger. <laughs> they maybe. And in, in your opinion, the Impossible is the better one, right? I, I, it depends on what you're using it for, but on for a burger. Yeah, I think just in generally speaking, I prefer that one for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it's tricky. Like it depends on how well they're cooked. Got to try. I've never tried it. Yeah. It's so crazy. like Carl's Jr. At least the one near me. And again, every single one is going to be different because every place is going to have a different chef, and they're going to be trained better or worse, who knows, um, depending on their experience on a grill. At the Carl's Jr. that I go to, they make it really well. Mm. And so it's been one of those things where like, I'm near a Burger King, and I'll, it would be wonderful if that Burger King cooked the impossible well. But if it comes out, and it's, I mean, I guess they're doing it on a broiler. So in theory, it'll be the same every time. But it's like, if it's not sort of prepared the way I want, I'm going to probably be going to Carl's Jr. more often. For sure. Right. That's the one thing, man. Food. You'll you'll go out of your freaking way for food in a ridiculous kind of way. For something that you have to do do so often. Eat. <laughs> Very often. Yeah. Yes. Um, all right. And see, the last of our five topics, Harvard Law School will announce the launch of a new program that will train its students to advocate for animals. They are naming this the Animal and Law Policy, or sorry, the Animal Law and Policy Clinic at Harvard Law School, which will train and prepare graduates to embark on careers in the animal protection field, produce impactful litigation and policy analysis to benefit the animal protection movement and provide an internationally renowned platform for educating the broader public about the many pressing issues involving animal law and policy. Now, I don't know how big of a deal this will end up being. This is one of those things where maybe down the line it changes things. But what I like seeing and the reason why I'm happy about this is simply that the ag gag laws, the agricultural gag laws that are in place in a tremendous amount of states um, essentially do everything they can to punish people who record in factory farms of any kind, any recording. And I, I think like if you're nervous about what you're doing, you shouldn't do it. And if that's going to be the problem, if the recording is the problem rather than the actually you doing it is the problem, you again shouldn't do it. Yeah. Well, that's true. And 
you're also dealing with something that's kind of in motion. And I think people kind of know what's happening. And the more publicity, I guess, there is, might create a lot of problems. I think what we're really seeing, the positive side, is that we're seeing it's a larger movement than just food itself. It's about, you know, welfare for animals. It's about equality. It's about treating our planet well. And and it's not to say like that it's better than being a meat lover. Mm-hmm. It's just addressing issues that our society has through um our consumption or overconsumption of meat. Right. Agreed. Yeah. Um yeah, no, I think you're totally right about this. Drumroll, please. Next topic. We are going to be talking about has the term fusion gone away? Well, no. Tell me why. It's it's changed for sure, but I think fusions just refers to like like a lower end. I mean, it means it's like if it's fusion, it's like not be not being done right. <laughs> maybe that's why the term has gone away. Yeah, is maybe it simply denotes because you've I don't know if you've noticed this. There are a lot of places that make a lot of vegan food. They don't call it that. They'll say plant based. Oh right, right. Because I think there's a stigma. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And I'm wondering. I wonder if that's what happened to fusion. You know what I mean? Because it did. It went fast and wide. It went hard quick. Probably yeah. starting around like 2000. Like seven, eight? That was like. Well, now it's normalized. So it's no right. longer fusion makes it like it's something special. And it's now true. it's just like if it's not fusion, you you know, you're either bastardizing something original it's or true. you're just making something original. That's an interesting question. But you're not making something like you're, that's, that is your own original. <laughs> In the discussion of irony and how all of the world works, what's interesting and sort of I think about this a lot is okay, so we've got trends, right? And for a while, fusion was a trend, but now we are in a place where it's the opposite of cool. It is not hip. At some point, someone's going to reclaim it in a really interesting way. How many oh, years yeah, off probably. do you think we're from that? Do you think it's like five years? Well, now so- that you've said it, it's probably going to happen in like three months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it, it could happen that quickly. Yeah. Because if somebody came in and really sort of played with the the tenets of what that means to be fusion. If they really like, you know, sort of hooked it up and sort of, you know, I can see, I can see fusion being like no longer two different cuisines, but like we're going to marriage two different, um, like Hanukkah and Christmas together. It's like, Oh, fusion, um, holidays. (laughs) Christmaca, my friend. Christmaca. Yeah. Uh, Matzo balls Uh and roast ham. (laughs) Christmas cookies stuffed in it. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. That'd be a wonderful new fusion. Yeah, so I wanted to talk about sort of Christmas. how it started in Los Angeles. You were in Los Angeles when Roy Choi was first popping up with mm. the Kogi truck, right? Right. So yeah. for anybody who isn't listening at home, Roy Choi started a truck sort of with the advent of Twitter or early on with Twitter. And he was one of the first people to really, Instagram didn't exist. They were tweeting their location and people will show up and stand in line for hours. But his truck, the Kogi truck, did Korean food mixed with Mexican. So yeah. it was the fusion of both cuisines. Did you go to that when that started? No, I never did. You never tried oh, it? Oh, wait, no, I did. Oh, no, I did get one, actually, one uh-huh. time. Uh-huh. I remember. It wasn't a big deal. It was there somewhere. Uh-huh. And I got it. And it was like what I thought it'd taste like, uh-huh. which, 
you know, it was it was good. It's interesting I think by that say, time, it was... I was going to say, how long, how deep was this? So, like, was yeah, this, it was several year years think? after. I was going to say, so Fusion wasn't... Because when that happened, that was a... It was, inter- it was like, that, that was, was the like new the thing. first time someone did Fusion and it didn't seem like... Well, not, it wasn't the first time, but it felt like that. <laughs> didn't feel, yeah. Didn't, didn't feel, feel hokey like something. hokey and... Uh-huh. Well, so my I think question, the fusion kind of really started in San Diego's, but is like what, like the whole thing of with that word and the the trendy part of it. And it started with doing the California roll in San Diego, and it was they put avocado and the fake shrimp and mayonnaise. And then if you go to San Diego, San Diego still has like its own sushi game, and and it's like they lot really saucy like you know the man and it's that's and but you know it's interesting is i spent time in japan and they and in japan they would have these like they looked like san diego style sushi rolls right it all comes full circle in japan uh-huh. and it and there it was like like this specialty american role oh, that people man. were like oh like it's so have, crazy wait, was it its own top. section on the menu it's like when you go to europe and they have um the american aisle but it's just like ranch flavored it was even more than that it's like a like a place would do this uh-huh. and it, it would be like they were known for doing this like oh, really? weird little american the, thing oh my so people know? would go and try it it's like they were you know it's like going it's so to disneyland Japan but for your taste all, buds yeah to put a lot of sauce and they're pure the, yeah they're the, total the minimalism <laughs> of japan is sort of what makes to me their food beautiful mm-hmm. yeah that's really interesting so but they the, do like excess too come to think of it <laughs> sure yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know it's been to like shibuya and just seeing like the arcade places is just like whoa. The arcades are wild out there. Insane. <laughs> That's very true. Um, so the the sort of question I had, and what I was wondering is, so if, if fusion's gone away, it's has it gone away because everything is fusion now? Yeah. See, that's what I think too. It's gotta be. I think everywhere you go. They are doing something mixed with something else. Mm-hmm. Now that may not be the whole of the menu, but there will definitely be a section on there where they have, you know, they'll have three or four or five items that have appropriated a little interesting thing mm-hmm. from another culture. You know what I mean? They'll, they'll be making, they'll be doing sausages, but for some reason they'll have like a miso mayonnaise and you just go like, why are you, I've never so had the, miso. The real question is this. why, why is it happening? Why is this fusion game? Why is this fusion game now? Like what, what allowed, is it the internet that allowed it to all happen? Was it the, what's, why is the mixing is it just because there's more accessibility and yeah i think of course right yeah. that's I, that would be my assumption is once everybody went fusion we, that means we all got to try things and we go oh that's i've never had this part of korean food that's interesting i'm gonna try to incorporate korean food now into mm-hmm. you know what i mean chinese food or i mean or, or i mean anything like that. yeah Mongolian mexican food, food. and mm-hmm. yeah uh, and and yeah, it's just reop. It's just reopened the game to be exciting. Yeah. And the funny thing is, like the I guess the stigmas behind you know places get real protective over certain things, mm-hmm. and then seeing those things get like bastardized. That's true. <laughs> yeah, but everything is hilarious. There. See the the <laughs> thing that like makes me afraid, and I don't know. I mean, you're an artist too. You felt mm-hmm. this, but there's always that fear that something will be taken out of its appropriate context and it'll be lost. But I think. Uh, right. The thing that 
I'm always afraid of. And what happens in my work is I won't do something because I'm afraid of where it might go or how it might live. And it's one of those things where you just can't do that. The same with food. Like Mm -hmm. things always get bastardized. They get taken to the lowest common denominator. And I, what I like is that at least people are, it's weird. There's people are so territorial about their food, but we've also gotten more open. I mean, if you live in a major city now, almost everyone who lives there, if you are from a different culture, you are popping up and doing new restaurants with that to try it. I mean, in Los Angeles in particular, I think it depends on the laws. So in Missouri, you can't have a pop-up truck if you don't have a physical brick and mortar where they can come and actually like essentially make sure you're up to health code. But within Los Angeles, in the last year, they've uh, Mayor Garcetti helped pass laws to make it legal for street vendors to sell food on sidewalks. Right, yeah. Which was a massive <clears throat> deal. And I think... I think the ramifications. I was of that. actually one of the lady. I was doing street food, and the lady was telling me all about that while I was going down. Oh, really? And she was, she was like, "Yeah, yeah, come to the the new meeting. We're, we're gonna we're gonna win." I was, and I was remember just being like, "Yeah, uh-huh. whatever." Right, right. It was like people forever saying how like, like weed would like get yeah, legal, and it's like now like, it is, but it we was, didn't know that. Right, right, right. You're just, you just don't like, trust. Oh them. damn, that's uh-huh. you know good because uh-huh. God, man, if there's one thing that that needs to happen in LA is like there needs to be the opportunity for more people to be able to like participate participate because it's and that's so much to, to pay to play you know yeah. it's so much i think one of the things that's interesting <laughs> so like in china where everything's counterfeit mm-hmm. if you um I've, I've read about these people who their tremendous gift is they can pick up any louis vuitton purse and know whether it's real or if it's not because of say the stitching on the inside or how they do the tag or the coloring of the stitching like little bitty details that mm-hmm. for most lay people they would not notice I think we're returning to a place now where maybe, say you're walking by a food cart in the street, you can sort of determine the quality of that food. I mean, you sort of, in the same way you evaluate people, you you initially go like, does that person look clean? You know what right. I mean? Like who who's making this food? Because you obviously, if they're serving it on the side of a street, you're not, the health inspector is not going to their kitchen. They don't have like an A or a B or a C giving right. them that rating. So you have to assess these things. Instincts. In that, yeah, exactly. It's instinct. <laughs> you sit there and it's like your gut goes like, do I really want to eat this sausage from this person or vegan sausage? I mean, that's on its way. Like right. I, I have yet to see a, like what I would call a legit street food vendor. There's a guy in Los Angeles who does, I think they're called Frank and Weenie. And he's been doing it for like years though, forever and ever. But mm. I've, I've yet to see anybody else pop up with them. Those days are numbered. A They're street, coming. A street food vegan mm-hmm. weenie? Yeah, yeah. Because you always see the ones with the hot, like they're wrapped with bacon uh-huh. outside of like every sporting event or like outside of bars, you know, at midnight people falling out drunk and yeah. just eating them off the carts. Well, I when I did street food, I did have, I usually had a vegan option. Really? Wait, hold yeah. on. Tell me about this. I didn't know you did street oh, food. Oh yeah, I did street food for like eight months. So what were you <laughs> making? What was the cuisine? So it started off doing... Um, what was it? Curried chicken skewers. Uh-huh. And I would put them on a pita bread with uh-huh. some lettuce on the bottom. Uh-huh. Or like a coleslaw. I would do a shaved white and red cabbage coleslaw. Uh-huh. Really fine. Uh-huh. And I put a white red sauce. I think some mango chutney and some herbs. Uh-huh. And it was based off of halal cart chicken. Uh-huh. You know, so. Uh-huh. But it was my own recipe. And it was... Were you cooking this really like good. on a hot plate? Were you well, doing this it out of the originally back of the had this truck? little tiny grill? Uh-huh. This is the first night, and it was really successful, but it was way like too much fiasco. So I changed it up, took this like fried rice situation, rice bowl. So I did a rice bowl and I had 
curried chicken or I'd have this, uh, t- um, what was it? Uh, tofu, like uh-huh. this tofu uh-huh. uh, teriyaki dish. Uh-huh. And then eventually I got rid of the curry because that was too much work uh-huh. for because I was for five bucks. So I just started doing teriyaki bowls. So in the, in the end, I had teriyaki bowl, tofu bowl, or a barbecue chicken sandwich, huh. five bucks. So how many, like <laughs> you, you, you said you did this for how many months? Six, seven months? Like eight months. Eight months, okay. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was uh, pretty good, actually. I made pretty good, <laughs> good money. I made more money doing that than I did working in restaurants, huh. which is sad. But that's kind of nice because at least you get to, in theory, you control a little more your destiny. Maybe it's not as regular. That's why I did it because yeah. I just hate working like um, just five days a week all the time. Uh, sure, yeah, yeah, it's it's like worse than I don't know anything. Interesting. <laughs> so, did you have a name for your pop up? Did you make online accounts or anything? No, but you, back then, like I was just Wait, yeah. When was this? What year? This are we talking? was so. Uh, I was also doing private chefing at the sure. also like, uh-huh. and um, so that kind of. So I was doing private chefing this. I was, it was like almost three years ago. Or it was three years ago. Uh-huh. It was three years ago. Uh-huh. And I got into it because I had um, quit a job in Silver Lake called a place called Sawyer. How, would you still do it? Would you get back into it? I've been wanting to get back into um, doing some kind of street food or like in a farmer's market. Uh-huh. But the idea for what it actually is hasn't fully developed. Uh-huh. And I'm just... Like either waiting for a really good idea or just like, a, you know, get myself in a situation where I have to come up with an idea. So if I said, I want you to make something fusion right now, I said you had to use the word fusion. Mm-hmm. What two things would you combine? What interests you right now? If I, okay, right now I would do hmm, on the spot. Mm. I know you'd use some of those chilies you're cooking. So there'd have to be something Spanish in it. Yeah, I'm thinking, well, I've, Mexican, um, could be Mexican-American, really. And then I think going a vegan route, or a really fresh route, mm-hmm. you know, lots of vegetables, mm-hmm. crunchy little, like, snap peas and things like that. Mm-hmm. Just really delicious. Really good, a good route. Like, sautés or fresh salads, mm-hmm. fruit bowls. You know, I'd really have to see the place. But if you were to ask me right now, I'd use a place called, i use a fusion where it I would tell you I'd have to think about it a little bit to get a good idea. With this, do you think when you walk into a restaurant, if it has a bunch of vegan options, does that seem fusion to you? Uh, no, no. Vegan doesn't isn't a fusion thing to me. Okay. Yeah. So I I yeah. sort of feel the same, but mm-hmm. I wanted to. I, in my head, it like it kind of is. I guess people do look at it like that in its own <laughs> weird way. It's like a separate subculture of fusion it's not really a fusion but like if i go if you do barbecue which is traditionally you know smoked meats you know Uh braised things like that if you're doing if you're doing them they're traditionally meat and to take veganism into that to me has to be considered a fusion but i don't think it's fusion in the way of people thinking one culture i mean it's one culture connecting with another like replacement it's true typically yeah 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 i i i don't it's funny because you know, when you said I, I do think of of the times when people go like, like, oh, those goddamn like vegans, like yeah, you know, I true. can't eat that uh-huh. that rabbit food, right. and I'm like, it's, just, <laughs> it's so crazy because uh-huh. it's just ex- 
you're literally just like it's like just you you just exclude meat there's so many options it's mm-hmm. not like vegans just eat granola bars and and that vegan food's gross like there's like this stigma yeah like people that eat meat that are kind of morons think that <laughs> vegan food's gross and it doesn't make any sense but i've also had people like when i was doing street food come up and tell me like oh yeah i want a teriyaki chicken bowl but I just want the meat and rice in the sauce. And I'm like, oh, dude, like, no, you want some of the herbs and vegetables. It's so good. He's like, and this guy was like, I don't eat vegetables. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I've, I, my favorite Thai place back in Missouri, I've gone it. to eat there. And a woman, I, I heard a woman order a dish and she goes, she like ordered this whole thing and she goes, and I don't want any vegetables. She literally, <laughs> she was like, just take every single one of them out. And it was like, cool. Okay. Yeah, that's Missouri. <laughs> See, that's, yeah. Um, I think it's bizarre, for one thing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's completely unhealthy. It's just... <laughs> but people are moving away from that. I think yeah. everyone everywhere is getting more open to it. I mean, I don't it's blame awareness. people. We're just aware of what's happening. My like, mom grew up... And shit. I remember her always talking about Brussels sprouts and how when she was growing up, the only way people ever made them was steamed. You know what I mean? You'd get them at a cafeteria and they were cooked in batches and they were terrible. You'd yeah. get them and they were really bad. And now... Like mushy, I mean, steamed Brussels sprouts. N- now they're great. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're baked. They're fried. You mm-hmm. get these wonderful glazes. People put sauce on them. And oh, it's like, yeah. oh, now they're wonderful. It's just about how you do it. How you do it technique. Right. And you know what? That's a that's a point I talk about with my girlfriend all the time is, is the level of our eateries, the places that we want to go to mm. in the neighborhood mm. consistently mm-hmm. because people like we live in a society that pe- we want to go out and eat. We don't want to really cook at home. Oh yeah. Like the old days or whatever. And there's so many good restaurants. It's like, why, you mm. know, like, uh, that restaurant joy. I think that's a great place to go and just get really fresh, delicious food mm. that's done well. And it's cheap comparatively speaking to like a lot of other restaurants, you know, so for those who people who don't know at home, uh, Joy is a like casual spot in Highland Park that does Taiwanese food. Yeah. So yeah, for everybody who is not in Los Angeles, they totally. also have a great place called Pine and Crane, but it is exquisite. And I've been in there and I sat next to this o- older, um, I guess, Taiwanese man who told me he was, honestly, I thought he was going to cry. We were eating the mochi dumplings, which were served warm, sort mm-hmm. of the traditional way, I guess. Yeah. He, in, the, in the broth, right? Uh, that one? The, we did not have them that way. Oh. But they come out on, ours came out on this plate. And oh, he, okay. you sort of have those. And he, he leaned over to our table and just said, like, I've never had food like this in America. Wow. And it was just like a Oh my God. Like I, I couldn't believe I was getting to eat food like this. Yeah. Sort of what I thought, like the, f- the fact that this is available in here and I could, it's five minutes away from, you know, me like driving. Mm-hmm. Is- yeah. And there's great, ve- and like there's delicious vegan. And I, we go there because there's delicious vegan options. Right. Cause you can go and get lotus root and mm-hmm. woodier mushrooms and oh my gosh, the bamboo you know, and the Ooh. bamboo. And it's not a, that expensive. And you know, which is also crazy. And that's another thing, you know, like there's like in order to get really good food, for a long time, you had to go to really expensive restaurants, and the food is treated so like precious, mm-hmm. and it's hard. It's and it hard shouldn't to be so well, precious. It should hard. be abundant. Yeah, the, the culture <laughs> feels in those restaurants, those nice places. It's also hard to feel relaxed enough yeah. to like enjoy it. I don't know. Maybe yeah, that's just like, me. Yeah, super you, tight well, you just want to. You feel like you're supposed to be respectable. I don't know. It just you can't. You like just wander in off the street. It doesn't feel like that's possible, but now it does. Mm-hmm. We're getting those opportunities. 
better food, you know, and I think veganism is allowing more depth into what we're eating and the care. And then I think too, like for a long time, you go to vegetarian restaurants and they had a, they had a, uh, reputation of being bad, you know, like not too flavorful, kind of like whatever. And, you know, since veganism has been taken more seriously and people put, put a lot more time and dedication into making good vegan food, we're finding amazing vegan restaurants, amazing vegan products. And they're super healthy. And we're sort of like curing freaking diseases. I'm saying where, like I'm part of it. I eat meat, but whatever. But I support stuff. it, you know, I, uh-huh. and I personally like to eat as little meat as possible because of just the way it makes me feel. It's just, you know, like you feel hmm. ready to go. Hmm. That's true. <laughs> All right. And we are going to take a real quick break. This podcast is brought to you by An Opportune Barking. I'm here to talk to you about MeUndies. MeUndies are a delicacy around my house. My dog eats them because I got that good good. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Mouths. Use them to speak and eat regularly. Vegan. Vegan. Carne. Alliance. Uh, let's see. So the next thing that I wanted to talk about is uh, who we think might be sort of the next person to sort of be a person like Anthony it's Bourdain good, was. Yeah. This is a hard <laughs> one to approach. I hate I hate the sort of um, what we're calling this. Who's the next Anthony Bourdain? There's there no is, way to there say is it, no right? next no. Anthony Bourdain. Both of us definitely not. I mean, I don't know how you feel, but I ad- adore Anthony that Bourdain. Everyone wants to talk about. Everyone's interested because everybody. We were so passionate about who he was, and mm-hmm. I think we're all looking for a cultural figure who's sort of a beacon in a certain way, who, right. who interests all of us. But it's sort of hard to put our finger on why. Um, well, he kind of was also like the like the spearhead of the food world. Like he really made, he really gave it this momentum Mm -hmm. that was giving chefs the stardom of like rock and roll stars and stuff. It's very true. And, and I think that when he died, people like, there's a big part of that kind of just like flattened out, you know, I think he, he, like you said, made chefs into rock stars or was one of the earliest people to be a chef who essentially became a rock star. Mm -hmm. I think, I think people are a little weary to do that to someone again, simply because we know what it did to him. He spent the latter half of his life. No, after Kitchen Confidential came out. But I don't think it's someone doing it to someone. No, so after Kitchen Confidential came out, Mm -hmm. he was vaulted. He was given a show and he made a show and became a star um, off of the Food Network and then he moved to CNN. Uh, But in doing that, one of the things that he was very weary of, and he talked about this a lot, was essentially that he did not believe that a yeah, big star chef and like traveling the world and all that was going to be good oh, for society. <laughs> yeah, no, essentially. Yeah, that was, that was it. Well, he yeah. sort of, no, he said he was like, this is not like what people are wanting out of this, this gristled world where in Kinship Confidential, he's like, you know, they're doing drugs and they're fucking off and everybody's sort of, you know, crazy. And he just goes, this is not good for us. We as a, like a culture chefs will suffer under this this is not the life that we should be building for ourselves and i think we're starting to understand that he Hmm. i mean for the same reason you're not a chef nine to five 
the reason why you don't want to do it every day because in the end it's, it's getting better though it's not right <laughs> i do think that's true but i think that's through him advocating you know what i mean saying like this is not i think oh yeah like this oh i remember when i first jobs right i was working in the commissary for umami burger mm-hmm. And I had jumped around many jobs, worked for them for a little bit, but I was in their commissary to start there. And it's where all their sauces get made and shipped out to all the Momami burgers in LA, right? And like the first day I'm in there, I'm graduated from the Cordon Blue. I think I'd worked in downtown a little bit. It's my second job or third job. I can't remember. But I went in and there's this dude and he's got tattoos all over him. He's got real hard look and he's got tats on his face. And he turns to me and we're in this like, grubby ass warehouse building just mm-hmm. cutting tomatoes and shit with like really just real basic industrial environment and he turns to me he's like ain't the fucking glamorous job you thought it'd be in culinary school did you now <laughs> <laughs> and i found out that guy like it just got out of the joint like uh-huh. you know a couple weeks ago classic and that was kind of a reality check for i think not just me but i think a lot of people going into the the food world that you know like you don't make a lot of money doing it and it is passion driven. And then the ones that do make a lot of money typically had a really good fucking head start. And that really good food is made on a poor level. And the people that make good food live like and make the best. And that's what these shows are showing, you know, like Anthony Mordain was showing that like, why isn't the food network showing all these, why is it always about street food? So many things down to earth, the people in the gutters, they're making the best food. And that's the saddest thing. And that's like the ugly truth of it is that it's like more of a slavery position than it is a rock and roll position or. Well, that's one of the reasons why I think, I mean, I don't know why you loved Bourdain, but I loved Bourdain because he would go in and he would, anyone who made food, he would go in and eat it in that environment. He wasn't Mm -hmm. looking for some upper crust sort of thing. He, he went to countries and ate their street food, which, yeah. again, as a vegan would not be possible. I can't go to probably 95% of countries and eat their street food, but someday, right. someday I hope I can. Uh, but watching his shows, that was the thing that there was a respect that he I always show. wondered like how many shots he got before he went into these places. Because I've been to other countries and I always spend like, like at least a couple of weeks totally deathly ill. <laughs> It's, it seems tricky. Yeah. I, I, I imagine it was hard. And I think... But then um, you get used to it and you're fine. <laughs> yeah. You Hopefully those viruses, you know, sort of metastasize in your body and you Yeah. They just survive. go dormant. Uh-huh. Right. Uh-huh. But, uh-huh. you know, but back on that subject, Anthony Mordain was so loved because he could talk to kings and poplars. Like he could walk amongst all men and, and really show human connection that everyone can... Um, you know, be drawn to, mm-hmm. and food was just a catalyst for that. And uh, but that's what he—that's what he was so loved for. And in that void to be filled, that person that's going to do that again, like, will there be another one? Is there another one? I don't see anyone. <laughs> well, so this is what I was wondering in the sort of space that he occupied. One of the things I was trying to figure out was, you know, what what sort of brought us to him you know what helped unite people which i think everyone loves someone else for different reasons right but Mm. i was wondering so in there he was a chef he wrote books he had tv shows does someone who wants to be a cultural authority like that not that he even was trying to be a cultural authority i think he was living his life as best as he could but Mm. is in that sort of question do would someone have to do all of those things to occupy the same space i mean i would say the closest person we have to that right now 
just for writing television shows, things like that would be David Chang. And, Mm. um, I, he has, if you, you haven't seen it on Netflix, he has ugly delicious. And then he, he's written articles. So one of my favorite articles that I assign to my students, whenever they're in my illustration class, they have to do an illustration for this thing. that's called the unified theory of deliciousness, which was an article that he wrote for wired about the idea of how new flavors and tastes come together and how he thinks all of it is related. So there's this book called Godel Escher Bach and, um, it's a really weird, fun book about how essentially all art forms in every capacity are related. And he, David Chang, in writing this article, was trying to say food should be included in this conversation. Oh, definitely. And it's I, not? <laughs> I, I, I don't think people traditionally think of food as an art. Oh, okay, but we're learning right. because, you know, like through experience, it's always about where we're coming from, how we've been trained to understand That's it. That's true. And I think people I are starting to... Piece of writing you're talking about too, probably. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, the articles, yeah, probably like eight or nine years old now. Um, but in that, it's like he's he's probably the closest cultural figure. But again, I don't mm. I don't know if he wants that space either. Like well, I love he's his not, podcast. He's not the the he's he is not another. He's not Anthony Bourdain. He doesn't cross that line of like of universal. I'd say. Sure. I'd say that, but it's early. He's, I mean, he has. But you I would know, say two you're right. Of like, a show he out, sounds you know very I mean? good on, like, as far as, like, someone's very similar. And he's, I really like I was David say, Chang very he's much. Oddly captivating, and I, I really enjoy it. I mean, he's so you know, passionate. I, gotta, I worked and that's in Momo, the best part. Momofuku for uh, a bit in New York in City. In New York City, yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, I worked there for a bit, and then I um, slit a tendon in my hand. Ow. I told him that I did it walking home and slipped in the ice, which wasn't far from the truth because I did slip in the ice and grab a fence that was covered in a bunch of rusty crap, but <sighs> I actually didn't hurt myself. I did that in for another episode. Another episode. We'll <laughs> save it. Excellent. Excellent. Um, there, there are lots of people who are... Uh, I mean, I, that's one of the things that I think is sort of fun. Netflix is sort of seeding the future of who could be the next Bourdain because mm-hmm. there are so many food shows now. I got to I w- gotta get the one that's like right there, chef's table. I want to talk to chef's well, table. So, well, so this is the next, this is our next topic. Let's hop oh, into it. So okay, yeah, what yeah. are our favorite food shows? So past, present, future, but you want to start, let's talk, let's start with chef's table. Yeah, I so, feel like that's the most like, because it's the one show that's about the 1% and it's really dramatic has a lot of hype and it's highly produced and i just want to know what you want what you think about it. do you watch it i love it so for those right. who don't know it was uh it was made by the same people who made jiro dreams of sushi which i loved have you heard of jiro dreams i've of seen sushi? that too yeah yeah so they mm-hmm. did that and that was essentially the pilot for this they said okay well we did this for a movie which is wonderful but we're gonna instead make a television oh, wow, show that's cool and that's how it happens so let's see yeah creator david Gelb. Um, I love it. But what's interesting is the there is no voice. The voice is the of the chef. There is no singular chef guiding us through those episodes. Mm-hmm. So it's weird. It's like he's the man behind the camera. We have I have no idea what David oh, Gelb like, is st- actually interested in other than who he picks as a chef. Right. He well probably stylization, you know, because those have a very They're very stylized. Very stylized. Yeah. All the 
um, close-ups and dramatic music with a beautiful classical. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. It's like a, it's a symphony. You know? So that is your favorite food show? No, I actually don't really like that show. <laughs> Wait, what? I thought that's why you brought it up. No, what? I brought it because because it's because it's such a good topic. Because mm-hmm. you know, it's um, it's something that a lot of people like and have a high esteem to, mm-hmm. and. I don't really know what like the general consensus among cooks is or chefs that work in that work in the restaurant. You know, I find it to be very like kind of over the top, pretentious uh-huh. and it's exhausting. <laughs> well, it's interesting you say that because what I will say uh, is I don't watch it as much as I used to. Right. I I used to watch every episode. Maybe it's because there are more of them now and now there are more shows than ever. That was mm-hmm. one of the earliest properties for Netflix about food and it felt exciting. Um, yeah. But I will say I do think it's more exotic. And for all of the reasons that you described, mm-hmm. I it's not so much I dislike the show. It's that I'm less what interested. About, like... So if you were to say something that's re- like that you could take from the show that's like really powerful meaning. Well, what I would well, say is yeah. you you think of food as art and if you are ever going to pitch someone on that idea, I think that show does it better than any other show. Hmm. So if you are trying to elevate that conversation to make people appreciate food more, that thing will plate a singular piece of thing, spin it 360 degrees with a beautiful score you know Mm -hmm. what i mean high violins coming in and you will see that thing and it makes it seem beautiful see i love that i think that's that makes me feel fond of the show right there Mm -hmm. and you just said you didn't well you know but yeah but i'm also like a jaded cook you know know. that just sees things like that and just like oh god like it is is, (laughs) here's the deal is it's it's Ultimately, it can be viewed as pretentious, or uh-huh. you can say this thing is exotic, and yeah. I understand that it's not for everyone. I mean, in the same way, so LA just had like the Michelin stars come out, and what's the place that starts with a P? That's um, Pulho? no, they're like it's the most expensive restaurant out here. Oh, out here, Vespertine. Sorry, that is the oh, name of the Vespertine. Restaurant. Yeah, yeah. So it's one of those things where it's like, again, mm. you're not going to go there to eat fucking porridge. Like you would right. go there to have a weird experience with food that's not something you've ever experienced before. Right. And that's how I think of chef's table. Mm-hmm. Like it's, I'm not watching it to like find out how, you know what I mean? Like mon pas sausage is done. Like I'm watching it because I want to see someone who's dedicated their life to something. And I mean, if you dedicated really your, exactly. Yeah. If you dedicated your life to something, you're probably going to be a little snobbish about it. The way you'll talk about it a bit, uppity. <laughs> your nose might be a little higher up in the air, but you have to, for sure. You have to yeah. come in ready to love that. If you're like not, in the mood for it, don't yeah. watch it. Well, and to say also, I have seen episodes that I did enjoy of that show. Like there's, a, I just remember now, I think there was one of like a Buddhist monk that... That one was wonderful. That was great. It's funny you say that because think... that's the most vegan friendly episode. Yeah. But my favorite episode oh, yeah. is actually the one that's probably the least vegan friendly. It's terrible. I'm trying to remember the, the man on the... He lives on an island and he smokes things oh, yeah. under uh, the earth. Francis Mormon. Francis Mormon. Yeah. So he's literally like, he wraps, he'll like catch fish off the shore oh, and then he put buries them underground where they've like heated it and they cover it with sand and they let it smoke all day in the earth he, have you seen like the chicken cabbage contraptions of like there's literally like rebar um archways with with wire suspending whole chickens and whole heads of cabbage like swinging around over this like enormous i would say like 15 by 15 bed of coals 
and then they're just like lowering like whole beasts that are like chained this to was these in metal- this episode no this is like dinners that he does oh, okay. <laughs> anywhere it's the most you I think every time I see him, I think he's just gotten more carried away with himself. I love him be, for the narcissist that he is, but he is so hilarious. This giant poncho and hats and these contraptions of swinging meats. And uh-huh. it's it's like, that. that is for sure art. That's like an eccentric, like, Dolly-esque kind of uh-huh. artist right there. That's how I felt. <laughs> I mean, what I would say is, and this is... This is how, I mean, I knew I needed to do this podcast is simply, I get my envy button pushed so often whenever I watch shows where I just mm-hmm. go like, I want that experience. Like what he's doing with fish, although he would never be able to replicate what it is he does with fish. Uh-huh. There are vegan protein possibilities where he could take the sauces that he's making, the smoke that he's putting into them, the wood chips that he's cooking mm-hmm. it with. Those could that flavor could influence other things. And so when I see that, I just go like, gimme, gimme. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, you know what? This brings me to an interesting point because I think that the vegan movement, right? We're talking about sustainability. We're talking about awareness. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of this older style kind of cooking, like like, when that friends of mine is an older style cooking, but you know, other chefs in that, like the French have a very wasteful, um, and they use really, you know, precious ingredients like sturgeon eggs and mm-hmm. da, 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 only and choice things, things you're but, saying. Like, yeah. But for mm-hmm. instance, like Francis moment, he does a, 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 a meal, like the amount of wood he's burning. It's like, there's not as, it's nothing sustainable about it. Like, sure. It's the most like gluttonous kind of like over the top party you can imagine. And I, and I think that in that they can be appreciated for what it is. Mm-hmm. And not. <laughs> I think that's a big part Same of it thing. is having the discussion about appreciating things for what they are. As yeah. long as you know, because I mean, it's like if you eat barbecue, that's it's like you're cooking it with like it's literally fire going into food, and those are car- those are carcinogens. You know what I mean? Like it's a oh, it's, it's a real conversation, yeah. but it's delicious. No one here is like, "Ooh, this tastes smoked. How dare you?" It's like, "Thank you. God bless you. You're yes. wonderful." Uh, okay, so let's Amazing. talk about some more shows. Okay, mm-hmm. um, yeah. so my current favorite show on Netflix is a show that is, uh, I believe, produced by John Favreau and Roy Choi called The Chef Show. It has this beautiful little, um, little cute introduction that they have that's like stop motion, but it's really laid back. They just bring on people that they like or people that make food or make movies, and they sort of talk about what food means to them, and maybe they make some food on the uh-huh. spot. They're usually like in the kitchen, and it's really great. So they have... Um, they had the chef from Jitlada. So she's talking about her curries, but she's also talking about like raising her family. Her daughters are in that episode helping chop oh, the vegetables. So cool, man. I've been going to Jitlada for like, I've been going to Jitlada for, for a long time. Right. It's, or, and it's, it's wonderful. Actually, I went a lot more when I was younger. I've huh. been in years. Well, I was going to say it's close. Yeah. <laughs> is it close? Now? No, not closed. Close. It is close to us. Oh, where yeah. You were growing up in Echo Park. Right. It's nearby. Um, yeah. So, uh, Let's see. We're going to take a a real quick break and we will be right back. This podcast is proudly brought to you by pants. You got to wear them. I mean, sometimes. (coughs) Topo for burping. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Coasters. They're cool. Don't leave rings. All right, and welcome back, everybody. Uh, so yeah, uh, the Chef Show on Netflix is one of my recent faves. It's 
just it's got a really good feeling. I think Favreau and Choi, I I appreciate both of them a lot. I've seen Roy Choi speak a few times, and to be honest, I really like him as a person. Like he's yeah. one of those people who, may, sort of in the same way, I kind of the way I I think we appreciate Bourdain, and that was it. Never felt like he was chasing what everybody was willing to give him, and I think that's why we liked him more. I right. feel like Roy Choi, he, he never like a vision. Yeah, Roy Choi never feels like he's um. Like sold out yeah 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 he just it feels there's an authenticity especially in the times yeah. i've heard him speak he said some things that were really personal and i really uh it, they resonated with me i really appreciated him being mm. so um candid i think it's a difficult thing to do and it it really comes from a lot of people think being candid and honest like that is weak but it's i think it's i think of it as strength and yeah it was beautiful to see and hear and that's why even watching the show it's like i kind of not that Roy Choi is my friend, but it's like, I feel like Roy Choi is my friend. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, ah, Roy, you know, I, haven't I like you. I have listened to him speak or, or seen his shows. I have his cookbook, L.A. Sun. Uh-huh. Um, is that his first cookbook? Do you know? I'm really not sure. I wonder how many he has now. Who yeah. knows? Okay. And um, like, I've always respected like what he's done. I've, um, I think, I personally have not really been impressed with his food, I guess. I don't know. Or really followed him very much. Not uh-huh. impressed. I, I like him very much. Uh-huh. I think what he's done for the food game is awesome. But uh, I've like he's never been one of the chefs that really like stood out as being like really amazing to me. So I haven't had many of his things because not many of his things are vegan. Yeah. He opened up a place called Local that was um, in South that's, LA. That's the thing. I haven't been like, where is his place? Well, so, no, so that's in successful. South LA. Yeah. Well, yeah. So pot right in mm-hmm. the line hotel. That's right. Yeah. So uh, yeah, local. I, I don't know what's sort of happening. I think they're transitioning local into maybe being more pop-up focused or food truck oriented. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. Um, but I hadn't had a lot of his food until recently so i went to eat drink vegan formerly vegan beer fest mm-hmm. at the rose bowl and it's one of my favorite events all year they had the kogi truck this year and alex oh, okay. and i were walking around <laughs> trying a bunch of stuff and they they had a like a marinated tofu dish that also had um, a kimchi of course that was also vegan and it was one of the best things at the event and there was no line for some reason i don't know what it was alex and i ate it and we were like that is really good we were walking around talking later that day after eating all day we tried so many different things mm-hmm. and we both were like that was that was maybe my that favorite was the best thing, thing. yeah was, which is really wild unexpected so anyway i hadn't had a lot of his things but now i've had some and the things that i had i loved um it was cool he also did like a pop-up demo there which was yeah. like a to have Roy Choi even do anything related to veganism was like, what up, man? Welcome. Yeah. Cool. Good to have you here. You know, I think one thing you're going to be, you're going to count on, like his food is probably going to be pretty tasty. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so too. That's what I want. Cause that's all I like. Want. Yeah. It looks I want like the taste. I want nice. the flavor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I have no need for muted things in my life. Like, yeah. I want to be punched in the face. Uh-huh, totally. Uh-huh. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, all right. So let's see. Let's, so we did, we talked about chef's table. We have talked about Roy Choi, the, the chef show. Now, have you been watching? Did you watch Ugly Delicious? I did watch Ugly Delicious. Yeah. So there are, I, uh-huh. are there two seasons now, and are they the third coming out, or is it only one? Man, I don't know. So I, I've I watched all I, of them. I've only watched. I the think first it's only season. one. I think the second season's on its way. Honestly. Yeah, the first season I really liked. I also actually really love his podcast. Like yeah, a ton. A ton oh a ton. really? I oh, I definitely should listen to that. It's beautiful. <clears throat> he and what I like is, uh, in the way that I'm hoping we do on this show too, is that it's not all. It's like 
he really loves food, but like he has someone to talk on, talk about pottery or he's mm-hmm. been talking about fine art on his show. Yeah. He's just going all over. And I, I like that. I think it's, I think it's an interesting intersection and a new Definitely. way to know him. Get me a little, a little eclectic, you know, yeah. a little variety. Bingo. Variety is the spice of life. So you know? <laughs> within Ugly Delicious, that was very much a show about how, I mean, I think he was, it was sort of supposed to be a joke about how when Eastern food gets presented, it's often not beautiful. And how, like, if you eat Korean food or Chinese food, it may not photograph well, but it will be delicious. It is ugly, but delicious. And mm. I always, I like that as an idea. I, uh, I think that show, and I've heard people say that he's, um, he's, he's an experience. Dave Chang is intense in a particular way. And I think some people find that off-putting. You have to sort of get to know him. Well, you know, the thing is, is, and, and uh, I think when you cook for a while, what you learn is that the uglier ugly food is more delicious. It just is. <laughs> Give me some examples. What do you well, what do you think a is peach more delicious? Of strawberry. Uh you know, like when you make you think those when are you ugly? make like Did well, you just call no, the ugly ugly? ones the ugly ones <laughs> oh. compared to the pretty ones. <laughs> We're comparing them to uh-huh. each other. Oh interesting. Uh-huh. Like a little like the, the peaches that like are a little bit soft or um brown are sweeter, you know? Mm-hmm. But we they're not that perfect image, mm-hmm. and it, and things like uh, you know, when you're making like paste and soups and things, and like pates, like these aren't things that are. And a lot of times, in order to make them pretty, you gotta sacrifice a bunch of it, huh. <laughs> you know. Oh, interesting. And well, and you know, I think that's just like even now, like I've been cooking. I cook professionally like 10 years in restaurants uh-huh. and like way too many restaurants. Uh-huh. And I'm and now at the point where, you know, I'm cooking and it's like, I, I don't like things to be uniform. I, I'm over trying to make everything the same shape or julienne things perfectly. Uh-huh. And using recipes is like only guidelines. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I feel the same. You know, and, and it's just more experimentary, more uh-huh. loose and friendly. And, and it, and what I've found is like you get more variety in, in shapes, you know, you get different textures, different mm-hmm. feels, mm-hmm. different methods of, of absorption. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the food becomes beautiful in a, in a more natural way instead of so sure. manifested. So in the Ugly Delicious vein, was there like an episode that you really liked? Like the one where, I mean, this is only because David Chang always feels like he's pushing uh. people. <laughs> My favorite one was um, oh God, the the street artist who, um, D- David. Oh, yeah. David, what's his name? I forget, but he was painting his elbows yeah. and stuff, right? Well, so, yeah. So the guy who brought, who went like to China South with Africa? him. No, they went to China okay. and he was trying to make him eat like donkey meat. Oh, just, yeah. No, oh, sorry. Yeah. What was it? <laughs> that, was my, that was one of my favorite episodes. And they're like, would you eat donkey meat? And he's like, no way. David Chang won't eat the donkey meat. Oh yeah, David I, Cho. That's it. You know what? I forgot, but I just in remembering that episode, I remember that I really liked David Chang and actually like um, liked him less after watching that show. Huh. Yeah, I mean he's 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 his own thing. When he was because that was one of them. He's like, I'm not eating donkey meat. Right. And then David Cho's like, I'll eat donkey. I'm like, I like no, he, David. He Cho. was pushing him to eat it. He was like, No, you're gonna fucking eat it. Yeah, like, you're gonna try this thing. And I just I like anybody pushing David Chang. It's I mean it's fun uh-huh. to see somebody get bullied who's usually a little more of a bully, not or more passionate than most people. He's like, No, you gotta try this. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was cool to see someone advocate more than. He had been. So I got to tell you my favorite 
moment uh-huh. in watching that show. Uh-huh. So I'm sitting at my mom's house watching an episode where they're talking about their favorite, I think, fried chicken or fast food. Mm-hmm. I forget. Mm-hmm. But they got on the subject of KFC. Mm-hmm. And David Chang was like, like, I love KFC. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. Yeah. they're all sitting around talking about the subtleties of KFC. Uh-huh. And I'm sitting there and I'm like starving. <laughs> and I'm like, I haven't had KFC in fucking years. Uh-huh. I'm going to go get some KFC. Uh-huh. And I put the television show on pause before uh-huh. they got their KFC, uh-huh. went to KFC, got like a bucket of chicken uh-huh. and like some sandwiches and uh-huh. gravy and all kinds of shit. Uh-huh. Went back, set the whole thing up like a G, you know, with the gravy and everything ready to go. Uh-huh. Put the show back on, started to eat it. And I was like, this is fucking disgusting. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I was like, so disappointed with uh-huh. my meal. <laughs> and, he, and I was like, you know, I was like, ah, oh, man, I trusted you, David Chang. And, but, you know, but he didn't let me down. KFC let me down. KFC let me down. <laughs> you just never know what you're in for. Who's going to be making that It was food? also in San Fernando Valley, and, like, that's probably where the worst KFCs on the planet are. <laughs> I mean, they could be. I don't know. Maybe. I'm, I'm sure there's deserts that have worse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Okay, so a few other ones I want to talk about. Do you watch any food shows on YouTube? Um, oh yeah. Cooking with the dog. Cooking with the dog? I love that show. I have yet to see the show. Tell me about it. It's this Japanese, um, woman (laughs) and she does like these traditional at home Japanese recipes. They're really simple and very Japanese. And she's got this dog that sits in a little bed just off to the side the entire time. It has like different hairdos, maybe different sweater on. And the show, they're like, cooking with the dog. And then she's like, <laughs> you know, it's all in Japanese. And <laughs> and it's so, I watched it when I was living in Mexico. So just the, the whole paradigm of like being in Mexico and I got this girlfriend that only speaks Spanish and I'm watching this Japanese show, Cooking with the Dog. And it's like, it was like, you know, very surreal. But that's one of my favorite shows. Was on she YouTube. a good chef or did you just like yeah, the Yeah, no, the recipes are great. The recipes are really good. Oh, that's wonderful. So there's a gimmick, but it's also excellent. Oh, yeah. I learned to make these like these dope um, little rice buns from mm-hmm. that show. Where you huh. twist the top and you uh-huh. pack it with meat and you uh-huh. steam them inside of like a styrofoam. Huh. Or you, you, no, you proof the dough in a styrofoam cooler. It's, yeah, so that, that very, yeah, off the wall kind that of show. That's cool. Yeah. Anything else you're watching? Mangchi, I like Mangchi. What's Mangchi? She's a Korean um, chef. She like <laughs> she dresses kind of like slutty, <laughs> uh-huh. has like colored hair and shit. And she's like, "Hi, this is Mangchi." She has this great energy, and she cooks like really delicious Korean uh, home dishes. And she goes to the park and like she's like, "Oh, I do." She was doing like some soybean soup, huh. and she went to like, I think Golden. No, it was it Central Park. They might have been Central Park. And she's like there. She's like, I'm cooking it here because it stinks so bad. It would like all my neighbors would hate me if I cooked uh-huh. it at my house. Uh-huh. So I cook it here at the uh-huh. park. And she's like drinking tecate. Uh-huh. So she's just like fun and hilarious. That's cool. <laughs> let's see. Okay, let's see. Uh, have you have you watched Hot Ones? Oh yeah, I've seen Hot Ones. I a couple episodes. Adore Hot Ones. <laughs> Hot Ones may be my favorite interview on Earth now, which is crazy. I I like interview podcasts a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I watch a lot of shows that are interview based, but a lot of them are podcasts now. And I have gone through so many and I feel like 
I don't know. It's just, it's, it's changed a lot. I guess what I like about that show is first they have great researchers. I don't know if you've noticed this, but their questions are actually phenomenal. There's definitely like some baiting. They have a young audience. So their demo is very much like, tell us about Instagram. What, uh, you know, <laughs> like, uh, and, and I think the way that they've done that is excellent. But what's surprising is I actually think he's doing some of the best and most interesting journalism in such a unique way where he's, he lets it get really hot you know what i mean they're eating mm-hmm. so that they forget themselves they sort of lose that ego <laughs> it slides off of them and they sort of become real in a way that you don't get to see on other shows you can see like <laughs> if they're getting messed with if they are dying you can really tell who they are kind of comes out they reveal how catty they are uh-huh. how angry they are how little they actually right, laugh at jokes the- <laughs> it's real it's the real them and i think it's beautiful i love watching the show for that reason right because like when you're dying of uh your your face is burning off and someone's asking you a question you're just gonna be like cordiality is gone Whatever. yeah yeah no yeah. It's, it's fine sure i like that okay I next go, question ah. all right next wing let's go to the next i want to die or yeah. i'm done it's kind of like when you're really drunk and you, you know, it's like, you don't care anymore. You're just like, uh-huh. I hate you. You're, uh-huh. I never liked you uh-huh. ever. <laughs> you know? and the next day you'd be like, I, I was drunk. I didn't, I don't actually believe that. I didn't mean that. I was but just eating spicy wings. I'm so sorry. You can't take that back. You can't take it back. Uh, let's see the next one. Have you watched a show called the burger show? It's hosted by Alvin Colain. Uh, uh, no. Cal Colain, I think. He, uh, yeah, so he, <laughs> not he used too, to do, not he used to do hip, egg really. slut, but he, oh, he has a show slut? called The Burger Show, and they just they explore what vegans, or not, sorry, not what vegans, what burgers are all around the nation. Yeah, I gotta say, man, have you eaten an egg slut? Probably not, right? I Don't. can't have anything. Yeah, oh my eggs. God, dude. Yeah, but next to that, I'm sorry, but that is an open kitchen on like Main Street in downtown Los Angeles, uh-huh. which I think is probably one of the grossest places in at least the United it's, States. It's only not. a one-way street. You think that street is one of the grossest? Oh, my God. There's so much piss and shit and car tires yeah. and brake fluid and just in the air. Oh. But that's just downtown, my friend. I know. I don't Part like downtown. Part of the flavor. Yeah, downtown's a little intense it needs in more Los work. Angeles. Yeah, it's like, yeah it's, it needs a lot they're of help. They're working on it. They're, they're working. working. They're hopefully, hopefully working on it. We'll see. We'll see. A few years. Uh, yeah, anyway, that show I really like. I just like the approach to it. I think it's really simple. It's really fun. Which show is this? The Burger? So it's called The Burger Show. Burger Show. And yeah, they just, they hop around. They explore what burgers are, how people eat it's them. It's all or about why burgers? They all about burgers. There's a lot to talk about when it comes to burgers. It's true. Yeah, it's a it's a it's an American specialty and so it, many it's, specific you dialects. You have to fucking have it everywhere. Absolutely. Like I love that everybody has an opinion on it across the, uh, the nation. It's, like, it's great. Same with pizza. I look, I looked up like how much ketchup, you know, I think it's due to the fact of burger and fries that so much ketchup is being eaten, but it's something like the average American eats something like, I think it's like 2.2 gallons of ketchup, like <laughs> every, like every year week. That's amazing. Oh, every week. Yeah. <laughs> every day. Like that. Uh-huh. I mean, I had a it's friend a in crazy school amount. who rolled around with ketchup in her purse yeah. she would have like literally take like a bottle she had a bottle in her purse she put it on everything damn it's a they like ketchup a little bit i like ketchup too but me too but i'm in not that much yeah it's a tough thing. well i guess i do i'm part of it <laughs> see. so uh next we talked about him a little bit but obviously bourdain i think i don't know how you feel but i came to love him because of his show and then i read his books later and then yeah. i learned more about him how did you how did you um, come into him Definitely the show. I well, I first found him out through his book. 
You and read then, his book before you watched the show. No, I never read his book. I tried to read his book. And, and um, once again, I'm like, it's hard. Uh, it's He's a style of writing that I'm like not really into. Wow, I can't believe that. I thought he <laughs> but was I really liked his show writer. a lot. Uh-huh. And, his, uh-huh. and, and I knew he did all the writing in this show, and I thought it was really great. Yeah, I think there's just like, um, like there's there's an element of I think exaggeration and like storytelling that kind of feels a lot like Hunter S. Thompson, mm-hmm. you know, in it, mm-hmm. but without the edge of like, you know, to me like actually of happening. Maybe it did, I don't know, but I felt mm-hmm. like it was kind of like overplayed a little bit and it did turn me off. Pretty early on in the book, and if I get turned off pretty early on in a book, I don't read that much anyway. So sure. when I if I do pick a book, it turns me off pretty quick. Like it's You're really out. rare that I'm yeah. going to come back yeah. to it. Sure, sure. You know? Well, let's see. So which which show of his did you like? Was there a particular favorite? I've you know I've so liked was, yeah. So no reservations, parts unknown, and right. then I never actually watched. Did you watch the layover? I, oh yeah, I did watch a little layover. So what was what was the layover? How was that I different from like, his other shows? That was you know, if you had. 24 hours in a city. Ah, cool. What could you pack uh-huh, in? Uh-huh. That's cool. I Anthony like that Bourdain. as an idea. Sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. So and it would, he would like show how to have like a, a layover in mm. another country. I, and I get back on the plane, totally wasted and pass out and show up to your destination. Awake. Awake and slept, alive. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. So one of the things that I loved for him was that Parts Unknown offered him mm-hmm. a way to talk about society, which I think, yeah. I think food is ultimately... <clears throat> tied to at all times i mean in the way that we approach or think about other cultures it's like mm-hmm. until you've had another culture's food i feel like you can't really know what they're like well um, yeah and it's the first it's a first step in order in order to like start like you know like basically break down racism in a lot of ways like mm-hmm. break down these walls when, when i think when people start eating other people's food and they realize it's fucking good it's the first thing that's like oh yeah like <laughs> how do you make this then mm-hmm. you want to start talking you True. know if food is the universal conduit glue, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, brings everyone together. It does. And definitely that show was a platform to, I think, to really show that to people who I never, maybe never even thought about that. Mm-hmm. Or, well, what I, I mean, what I found so fascinating is it was a, a bonding point. I mean, he, Anthony Bourdain hated vegans, although later in his life, <laughs> I, I, he actually seemed much more open to it. At one point, he did say I'd his say wife contempt. went vegan. Yeah, no, there was contempt, but he actually <laughs> said he was going to divorce his wife because if or if she actually went fully vegan, which, I mean, I think in retrospect, I think he would laugh at. Um, and I think he sort of did near the end of his life. It seemed there were some, um, I'm trying to remember what podcast he was well, on he's, he's where definitely he had conversations a hopeless, like, with meat eaters, but there was somebody uh, taking a harder edge than he was. And you could see him sort of go, maybe these people aren't that bad saying vegans, meaning those people aren't that bad. I don't know. It, it, it he was always sort of shifting his viewpoint, which is why I liked him is yeah. he'd go, he'd have an episode where he'd be sent to a country and kind of come back and go, well, he could read maybe the room. We misjudged them. Yeah. Maybe we were getting this wrong. And I think, I think he had just, maybe he had met the wrong vegans. Well, I think that, I think that it's, it's, he obviously is like an intelligent person and being an intelligent person to say that you don't like veganism is ridiculous because he loves tons of dishes that don't 
have meat in it. Yeah, it's guaranteed. But I bet ten years ago he didn't know that. He might be eating stuff and not knowing it's vegan. But chefs, uh-huh. but definitely chefs have a con- like when you're working in restaurants, uh-huh. it is just like get that shit out, out of the here. Door. Fuck uh-huh. you. Uh-huh. There's no time. You uh-huh. get you get orders in that are vegan, and you re- you just like want to throw their plate out the window. Uh-huh. And it's hilarious, you know, and the, and chefs are so stressed out that like anything that they can direct their anger to anger towards, they're going to do it. And <laughs> I worked with this one, uh, this is really funny. This is a chef and she was like the sous chef and she was like, always looks frazzled and her glasses like falling off her nose and she's pissed off. And we get these orders in for the salad station, Garmanger, and they'd be like, Oh, like a salad with no like meat and hold this and whatever. And if it had like, if it had like two or more items taken off, she would just be like, these fucking people don't like food. Just put like salad on the plate. Don't put any dressing. Don't put any of like the, just only lettuce, Uh chopped lettuce on Uh the plate and send it out and don't do anything else. And she'd like scream at you to do this. Okay, go ahead. And they would never come back. So I think she kind of was on to something, <laughs> which is yeah. hilarious. Like she just out the door. She knew that like those people were like, yeah, like they just, so I think in restaurants, vegans had that reputation of just being like, like you, they'd go to a restaurant and they'd be like, if I can just get lettuce and don't have to eat any meat, they'd be happy because they don't want to eat any of that shit. Sure. And then the chefs are just high strung. And, and so naturally that hatred is just going to, Arise similar to like two countries that never met each other. Sure. Well, let's see. So <laughs> uh, side side. let's see. The, the last thing that I wanted to talk about from here, or one of the last, was uh, do you watch any of the shows with Gordon Ramsay? Oh, yeah. Wait. Do you yeah, ever watch Gordon like Ramsay. they had a yeah, show called The F Word? Though that one I think Gordon, was technically yeah. the British version mm-hmm. of it. They had an American one. I don't know. What I like about the British counterpart of the show is he's nicer on the the British show. But when they marketed him to America, they made him the angry chef, which I think I think he has yeah. a new show coming out, which I have not seen. But I imagine is going to be a friendlier version of him. I think we're sort of moving away from that idea of it's really funny to yell at people all the time. Um, yeah, it's not cool anymore. I was going to say, yeah, know. it's just it's sort of done. And I what I would say is I used to I mean, when I was in college and that's, you know, me at 18 or 19, I used to think it was funny when he would like. Just curse because well, I think you know, I, I have a backstory on that. Do okay. you know the backstory? I don't. Gordon Ramsay being a total douchebag. Uh-uh. I don't. <laughs> well, so he was a, under this one of my favorite chefs who wrote the book Devil in the Kitchen, mm-hmm. which I heard from a secondary source or a second, what does he call it? A secondhand person. Like someone just told me through the grapevine, whatever, mm-hmm. that. That was originally released in London as White Slave and was not released in America as that. And they changed it to Devil in the Kitchen. And his story about growing up in um, kitchens in Paris, I think, and uh, London uh-huh. and the brutality and all the crazy shit. That this is Gordon Ramsay? No, this is Marco Pierre White. Okay. And he was the youngest chef to have a three Michelin star restaurant. And Gordon Ramsay worked for Marco Pierre White. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Marco Pierre White tormented Gordon Ramsay and, you know, was like Gordon, the way Gordon Ramsay is like stardom famous now was apparently the way Marco Pierre White Used was to, to uh-huh. Gordon Ramsay uh-huh. and had so a reputation for somewhere. being a fucking lunatic. Didn't, like, well, didn't Ramsay end up, I thought Ramsay got three Michelin stars before, did he end up getting three Michelin stars and getting them younger than Marco Pierre White? Uh-huh. That could be possible. Okay. I, I, I don't sure. know that, that much of the story. Okay. But I, 
I like Gordon Ramsay has. I've never been fond of him. I'm. I've never seen any recipes that I thought were that creative. Everything just seemed like on a very like. This is safe. Mm-hmm. Like the you know cl- like this is classic safe food. English food, you mm-hmm. know, this is how you do it. Mm-hmm. Very much from that place of this is how you do it. Mm-hmm. Not I'm creating something that's like unique and amazing, mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of up for judgment. Mm-hmm. It's like he always stuck to that. There is no judgment. I fucking work for Margaret. You know, like I like I have this this position to be able to tell you mm-hmm. if it's good or not. And I always found it kind of basic, really. Okay. But Mark Pierre White was, you know, I thought his food was just like just it's just extraordinary. It's huh. bizarre extraordinary. Huh. Yeah. So now we are going to move into a new category called questions from a carne. And on this episode, it is our friend Jesse Molinix. It's me again. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Jesse, do you have any questions for this vegan sitting in front of you? Yes. I would think the best question would be to listen to you talk about how frustrating it is or was in in hearing the comparison of when the trend was starting now before and the the frustrations of a vegan trying to get good food at restaurants or going out with friends or like what was you know, I didn't go through that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's fair. But what I would say is I don't feel like I was ever really frustrated. You know what I mean? Like there's a difference. Aww. You know how you've, I know, I know it's sad. I know you <laughs> wanted me to like, yeah, struggle. Um, what I would say is I think in the same way, you know how sometimes you're you're dating someone and you have a, a big argument, but two months later you can't remember what you were fighting about? Like, that's not a real argument. That's not an important one. If you can't remember what you all were upset about, uh-huh. um, that's how it mostly felt as a vegan is I'd go somewhere and I'd just be like, really? Like you, that's if, unfair, Cole, because that, that would mean that all my arguments are not real arguments. Not real arguments. Uh-huh. I yeah. can't remember any of them. Well, so like, for example, something that would be incredibly frustrating. This is a real frustration is sugar. For the most part, if you buy cane sugar from a store, it is not vegan unless it says so on there because there is a bone char in that sugar. Now, this bone char is to keep that sugar from clumping because most people want their sugar to not clump. They don't know that you can like put a piece of bread in with it and it'll pull the, pull the moisture out, right. all of that stuff. They don't know that. So because of that, what that meant was if I went to most grocery stores 10 years ago, I couldn't buy sugar. I could buy, I think powdered sugar would work. Oh, I did not um, You could that. also, you could do brown sugar. Maybe it was just brown sugar. Or you could do like molasses. Brown sugar or agave. Good brown sugar. Right. Clump, yeah. yeah, I was going to say, but you knew it was clumping and people mm-hmm. were prepared for that clumping. Uh, so it used to be a real pain. That would be frustrating. Um, but I honestly, I feel like I came in at a good time. Although, for the record, so I've been at it since 2012, 2011, 2012. And um, so eight years now. And... In that time, when I first started, there were there were not many like vegan cheese brands. Which uh, before I was vegan, I loved cheese. And so now, what I would say is, how long have you been vegan for? So so eight years. Oh okay. Yeah. Um, within that, what I would say is, uh, cheese initially was bad, but now it is good. It is <laughs> wild how good vegan cheese yeah, is. Yeah. And so true. those things were frustrating. Um, really, I, I mean, I knew I was signing up to sort of be 
something that was difficult. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. I was prepared to eat just rice and beans going somewhere. Like that doesn't bother me. I'm down. The, the real frustration, God, what was it? I mean, it was like, I mean, it's, I think it's more funny than it is frustrating, but like my dad always pronounces it vegan and I love him for it, but it's one of those things that's like endearing. Like it will live on in my heart forever. It sounds like pagan. Yeah. Pagan. I'm essentially pagan. You essentially are, you know, that's right. You're, I would imagine that pagans were vegans. True. Or at least they would tell people that it's just to be different. True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think, yeah, you don't, yeah, there's not a lot of crossover, but maybe there should be. They could. There should be. There should Definitely. be. Definitely. Um, no, but outside of that, no. I mean, yeah, it was frustrating going places and having to explain it, but like, I kind of... You know what I mean? Without the struggle, it's no fun being in the, you didn't like in, the pa- in the pleasure. Go places and like yeah. work on to eat, and it's just like, oh god. Yeah, they didn't know, but eat. now now they know. And what's cool is I knew how bad it was, so now I appreciate how good it is. Yeah, that's because otherwise I wouldn't know. Otherwise, I'd be like, yeah, it's always been this good, but you it's like spoiled little brat. I mean, <laughs> I think about this all the time, but there are like things like Daya, which ten years ago was groundbreaking as a cheese. Mm. a vegan cheese and now it's it's a you know it's a little gray gray in the hair and it's one of those things where it should probably be phased out but it's also one of the cheapest to produce i would assume Mm. and it's got Mm. national distribution Mm. you can find it in every supermarket but it's not a great representation of where vegan cheese is now but it's also again it's cost effective yeah i see why people do it and those are things where it's hard to sort of know it's it's hard to say like i'm frustrated by it i understand why it still exists it serves a role but it's one of those things where those are the parts of the frustration now. It's like I'm looking forward to everyone evolving with the food, the veganism food, you know, mm-hmm. hopping on the train just to see where the new stuff goes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you, in your eight years of uh, being vegan, do you uh, feel majorly better? Like, w- what the health benefits? Man, I am do you even probably know? the wrong person to ask for this. Before I was vegan, I was. I was a bad vegetarian. I kind of became vegan because I didn't eat vegetables and I needed to start. I was just like, oh, I don't, I don't love them. But I was like, you know what? I bet I would if I really gave them a solid, solid try. And then you just went that direction, never looked back. When I was a vegetarian, <laughs> I ate a ton of pasta with cheese and butter. It was all cream. You know what I mean? Sounds I was terrible. <laughs> it was not good for me. I just needed it. That's why I hopped out. But it was great. I mean, it was wonderful to transition because... I mean, I literally, eight years ago, it was essentially every time I went out to eat, I probably tried like a vegetable that I'd never really tried before. And especially in Los Angeles, everyone's trying new things. Yeah. Restaurants are using interesting, weird ingredients. I mean, I and still remember. It's a remember, fun thing to get all involved in and keep your mind occupied. A little game, you totally. know, going out, trying to. People have like Instagrams, like who makes the best Brussels sprouts or cauliflower. It's like, uh-huh. every, you know, Try you can get on one of those little things and it's just have a little fun. It's like yeah. a game. That is entirely Keep your mind true. mind occupied. Yeah. Keep your mind off of things like paying rent and the bills due. And, <laughs> um, I was going to ask you another question, but we'll have to wait a second until it comes back. Do you have any questions for a meat eater? No. Yeah. I know everything about feeding meat. Well, I can tell which you is not true. That's not true at all. about... Um, yeah. Well, ooh. I've gone through experiences like eating like a lot of fast food. Sure. So like, especially depending on what kind of work I'm doing. Like if I'm in construction work, mm-hmm. which I've done quite a bit of, 
you know, you eat a lot of fast food, like Mexican food and or like people eat Carl's Jr. and shit, uh-huh. Taco Bell, because uh-huh. it's like cheap. And you, you know, you know, making a ton of money. You don't sure. want to spend a bu- and you, but you need to eat because it's like you burn a bunch of fuel. Uh-huh. So you end up buying, and then you go for a period of time eating that. And like I've definitely noticed the difference of like just eating like a lot of burgers and mm-hmm. tacos and shit. Sure, and then switching right into like a a more like straight vegetarian. Like sometimes I'll go just like only leafy greens mm-hmm. and won't eat any meat or anything. Mm-hmm. And immediately you like, you notice your guts all like turned upside down because your body is yeah, so used no to have no idea. Meat. What is this thing like, in my stomach? Uh-huh. Yeah. It's like, just like doesn't burning through it like nothing. It's true. But then you, but then you have a lot of energy and you yeah, feel you really feel good. good. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't have those ups and downs. That's very true. From like the, mm-hmm. the food comas and shit. That's true. The body is a weird place. We are going to explore it more. I want to thank everybody for listening to the first episode of Vegan Carne Alliance. It was wonderful to have your ears here. Yeah. We hope you have a beautiful day and we will hear or speak to you hopefully again soon um if you have any thoughts please send those our way if you send them to hi at vegancarnealliance.com you can uh let us know if you have any thoughts any questions um we'd love it if you had any uh questions for a vegan and uh we'd appreciate it thank you very much peace out guys bye everybody (laughs) bye Those are our first takes. One last thank you to Jesse Mullenix for coming on the podcast and Alex Irrit for editing. Big thank you to freesound.org. I need to thank Jeff McAuliffe, host of a wonderful beer podcast called Bev Boys. He is a wild and funny man, so you should check that out. He is the person who advised me on how to put together this podcast. So if you are listening to it, we have a we owe a sincere debt to that beautiful man. Thank you, everyone who is listening. If you do the thing where you rate stuff, it helps us, but don't worry about it if you don't. We'll catch you next time. Thanks again. Bye-bye.